All right, uh, here we are in Lightning's TRX. Uh, we just had Mr. Mike Hallmark, or as the industry knows him as Hell Mike from uh, Hellwig, is uh, in Lightning's TRX. We just installed Sway Bar. So let me just lay the story out really quick before you start driving Lightning. Okay. The story is Lightning got this truck, and he's like, ooh, it's kind of soft. I didn't expect there to be that much body roll. I'm Lightning. I don't think that that happened. Uh, yeah, she did. You did say that. But I don't think it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, what you, that's what you sound like when you talk to me. Your so, witness chiming in here heard it. Heard yeah, it. there exactly. you go. Just like that. So he was talking about how the rad-ass TRX was a little bit sloppy for his taste because he's driving around, you know, Mercedes, AMGs rather than pickup trucks, and he had to recalibrate his butt. But that's when Mike said, well, hey, I can fix that for you. And he offered up a set of sway bars. Now, the TRX does not come from the factory with a rear sway bar, so this is brand new sway bars, front and rear. Mike, if you want to just give us a quick rundown, what did you install today? Uh, so what I installed was our... With my help, of course. Oh, with. Yes. Uh, with under guided supervision. While Lightning was working on something else. Yes. All you did was yeah. hand him a Dr. Pepper and a sandwich. It's not true. The old bait and switch. That, the old bait. There's a whole story behind this story of a story that's a story, but we're going to tell this story. So, Helwig Sway Bars, 4140, Forge Chrome Molly Steel. Is that race car that's race car uh, So we pulled off the factory bar. We put on our solid 4140 Forge Chromoly steel bar. And then out back, we installed a rear sway bar because you did not have one. Uh, since you do a lot of street driving here in Southern California and you're a little bit passionate about that driving, we put you on the middle setting of our sway bar uh, to give you really optimal sway control for both on and off-road. And now, this is our very first drive once it's been installed. So. Light, lighting has not been in his truck since it got parked on the hoist. And uh, to Mike's uh, point there, there are three settings on the rear sway bar that are three different leverage points. So you can tighten up the rear or you can loosen it up depending on what you want to do with it. And it's on the middle setting for our friend Lightning because while he prefers and spends most of his time on pavement, he claims he might occasionally get it dirty off-road. So we've accommodated him for that. Someday. All right, so shall we go? And what type of course do you want me to go on? Just, uh, just down drive the train? it. Do, uh, do you, all right. uh, if you can get us on the thermal racetrack, that'd be great because um, we just turned this into a race car. At least that's my opinion. You're going to tell us. Gotcha. Also, right. for those that are listening, uh, Lightning was asking all kinds of questions, wondering how bad this product he was going to mess up his He got super truck. nervous. I Dude, I did not okay. insult you that way. Would you here's, stop it? Here's what's hilarious about Lightning. Once you spend some time with him, you realize his, his uh, personality defects. And one of them is, is when he gets really worried about something, he starts asking passive-aggressive questions. They're not passive-aggressive. And he goes, he says things like this. So, uh... What, what what's happening on uh, the sway bar? What, what, how does it work? Where, where do you where do you put the thing? And how's it going to affect my truck? And da, da, da. and it's like, why don't you just come out and say you're worried? And okay, you need okay. Mike to make you feel That's better. That's a lot of jabber jaw. We just took yeah. a turn at some pretty good speed. So I want to hear Lightning's firsthand impression here. So immediately I notice it's not as wallowy. I'm right out of the gate. And right here, if I go left, right on this. Also, I get car sick in the back seat. So just so you know, okay. I might barf. All right, okay. I'm going to make a hard right right here. Okay, that was, dude, much tighter than I've ever taken that turn at that speed. Wow, that was nice. I'm gonna slow down here because there's railroad tracks. So, flat land, going over some bumps. I noticed no major difference, which is exactly what I wanted. Go through here. Oh, that's nice. Feel how the rear sticks and comes around it on is, you? Yeah, I like that. It's predictable. This is nice. 
I'm gonna make a hard left out of this parking lot right here. And we're gonna go here. Oh, that's the nice. The rear feels much more yes, planted. Yes, it does. A lot more planted. This is good. And if I do this, it makes Holman sick in the back, left, right, left, Yeah, right. but the joke's on you, it's your truck. <laughs> For those of you that- I'm fine barfing, it's no problem. Right. Can't see what this was. Uh, it, that was lightning jerking the steering wheel back and forth in a slalom motion. Right. And I'm pretty sure he just got a 9.9 .9 from the judges. 9.9, 9.8. It definitely have a bruise 10. on my carotid artery from the seatbelt. <laughs> All right, and we'll do a, uh, we'll do kind of a hard right right here. All right. Oh, wow. Do that back end just comes around predictably now. That's awesome. Give me a good one. We're doing, we're doing a U-turn now. All right. <laughs> you didn't think you were going to make it, did you? No, I didn't think I was going to make it. You thought it. I was going right into the uh, fire hydrant right there. Oh, that was nice. All right, so uh, lightning on a scale of 1 to 10. What were your expectations of the Hellwig Sway Bar? I had high expectations. Going in. No, no. I Going had, in. Listen, I know Mike. Jokes and all. I, I know Mike. I know Melanie who runs a the company. They make a solid That product. doesn't mean you weren't worried. I was a little concerned. <laughs> I was a little concerned. But this is exceeding my expectations. This is dope. All right. Scale of 1 to 10, what are you, what are you feeling like now? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, this, is a, this is like a 9.975. And the judges are holding up multiple cards. Yeah. So somebody just bought a TRX or has yeah. a TRX, and they're and like, maybe they oh, tow, or I, maybe uh, they should I get a Hellwig sway bar? What, what would you say? Yeah. The answer is absolutely yes. Great absolutely for towing. Yes. Great for daily driving. Great for people who maybe spend a little more time on pavement than off. I think you'll really appreciate how the rear, especially, uh, plants in the back, and the fact that it's adjustable, so you can dial it in for your specific uh, need is pretty oh cool. Oh my God, it's just such a different driving experience. This is dope! Yes, thank you, Mike. I'm excited by this. Oh, you're welcome. You heard it here first. Get yourself a Hellwig. Also, change your phone because he may call you with questions after we're done here. <laughs> That's possible. So there it is, live from Lightning's TRX. Hellwig, live with you. Re recorded from your TRX. We're live from the pod shed. Maybe they thought it was live. Uh, so admit that you were worried. I wasn't worried. You came up to the lift. I wasn't worried. You looked behind it. Nope. And then you started asking all these really dumb questions. Wasn't worried. Oh, is it is it really stick out behind the axle like that? Oh, what what do you connect it to? Oh, is, where's that where's that end link go? Nope. Uh, uh, None of those things. You asked all of those things. I didn't ask those things because I was worried. I was asking <laughs> because I was curious. Mm. I ask a lot of questions about mm -hmm. everything. You should know this by now. I do know this by now. I and ask silly I questions of our guests. I ask. I saw the questions. scare in your eyes. There was no scare in my eyes. Mike saw it. We both looked at you like, oh, he's worried. I wasn't worried. All right. I honestly was not worried. I didn't know where they mounted. Mm -hmm. I looked up. I couldn't see where the end links, where the top points of the end links mounted. Mm -hmm. I was curious. Did they drill new holes? Did they put mm -hmm. them in existing Did they mounts? drill new holes? Nope, they didn't. That's right. It was all bolt-on. And it was all professional, and it works. It is gorgeous. It was a great installation, great product. Fit and finish was dead on. All right, so now that you've been driving it for a week. So first, I want to tell everyone what we got. So we put on a, a pair of... Uh, the fronts are inch and three-eighths in diameter. Huge, thick, chromoly, powder-coated beautifully. The rear is seven-eighths inch thick. And they purposely downsized the rear to not make this rear too stiff. So they want your suspension to work on the TRX. You still take it off-road, all that kind of stuff. And like we said on the show uh, or on the recording, they had three different settings 
So you could uh, basically decide how much rear sway bar leverage you want. So I think I'm going inboard one more notch to so you want to stiffen it up. You further. want it tighter. Yeah, you're gonna really not like that off road. I well, <laughs> but here's the great part: it takes maybe five minutes to change it, maybe less. Remember the last time you're like, hey. I don't want to scratch my new wheels off road. I'm like, just swap them out. I don't want to do that. And you're gonna crawl under the back of that thing every time you go wheeling and change your sway bar position. Honestly, it's a nut and a it, bolt. It, it might take I, 45 seconds. I get it, but are you gonna do that? I don't see why. I you'll wouldn't. do it on the trail. You'll leave it and you'll get off road and you'll go. Uh, all right, hold on. And I'm gonna be like, what are you doing under the back of that thing? Changing my sway bar setting. I mean, maybe. Yeah, that, that'll happen. But it, right. but it's easy. Okay, so you've had it for a week. Yes. And? Love it. You drove it around town. Love you drove it. on, on ramps. I've, drove I've it. put 150 miles on it since okay. we put them on. Any maybe, squeaks? No, it's uh, closer to 210, 220. Any rattles? No, no squeaks, no rattles smooth. How's it feel on it, the clover leaf? Really sure-footed. Really good. You can swing the ass end around and you couldn't before. It had so much body roll, you just couldn't do it now. Even though it's all-wheel drive, full-time, you really feel like you can pitch it out if you wanted to because it's it's just, there's just so much less body roll. So you're happy. Yeah. You highly recommend. This is a recommend on Lightning's this is, list. This is a Lightning's thumb up. Lightning's thumb? Just one thumb? Just one. Just one thumb up. Maybe it's two. Why wouldn't I put two thumbs okay, up? Okay, this is Lightning's two thumbs weird. up. Like, where's the Light, thumb go? Lightning <laughs> endorsed. Yes. Okay. It's a Lightning endorsed product. By the way, it's not just me. You would endorse them as well. Well, I helped install them while you worked on something else. No, but I'm saying, but you've driven with Remember them how you're like, hey, come on down. We're going to do this install. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then I get there. You're like, hey, I'm going to be over there working on a Banks video. And- so don't even throw me under the bus this way. I tried to do it at a different time and you had to have it at a certain time and I had to do double duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was shooting an in-install video of a Banks Monster Ram and that had to be done. That's nice to have other people install stuff on your truck. That's all I'm saying. He offered. But, Mike offered. And he's done a million of them. Did so you see that I, done right. I helped and I painted all the bare metal you did on the threads. That, and I appreciate so that. So that your yeah. bolts weren't going to rust. Yep. Also painted something else under there if you look if hard If you enough. painted a wiener, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> I don't know. Seriously? Crawl under there. Where are you painting a wiener with a spray can on the you bottom of my truck? Stencil. <laughs> Did you, you see? I, I cardboarded a knife, you dude. Carried around a stencil. I don't carry it around. I made one live. <laughs> what are you, saying. MacGyver of wieners? I'm just saying. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know why, just kind of sit around all day and draw pictures of dicks. So it is the Truck Show podcast. I'm Lightning, and he's Holman. You went to. The ACT Convention, ACT, what does that stand for? ACT ACT Expo, which is uh, the Alternative Clean Transportation Expo. Came uh, just down the street here in Anaheim, California. And uh, our friend uh, Seth from uh, Dana, who gave us the whole behind-the-scenes tour of their EV stuff a while back, uh, invited me to join him uh, down there. And so uh, I said, yeah, that would be great, because Dana had a huge booth. There was everybody in the industry, all medium-duty, everything like excavators, uh, dump trucks. It's funny that we semi trucks of Dana as being Jeep axles, Ford axles, things like that. But they do, they do all everything. the heavy duty stuff. Yep. So uh, the whole medium duty, heavy duty market was there. It was it was actually really cool. It was like a a mini SEMA, and uh, there was a, a lot to see. So they invited me out there and gave me a tour of their booth, their technology, a few of their uh, customer vehicles, and then they turned me loose. And I uh, I got an interview from Nikola. We haven't heard from them what? in a while. And I got some other interviews from other interesting companies. Uh, and then 
One in particular, we have to try and get him back on the show, uh, Bollinger. So I'll, I'll explain that, but uh, once we get into the show, we'll go ahead and uh, play some audio that I got and some interesting uh, interviews. So if you're curious about you know hydrogen and fuel cells and EV and propane and all the things that come with uh, you know alternative fuels, especially in the heavy-duty market, you'll probably like this episode. Uh, if you hate all those things, listen anyway. You might learn something like I did. All right, Holman, I got a quick quiz for you. I'm going to name three things. What do they have in common? 310 horsepower, 6,690 pounds of towing capacity while getting up to 24 miles per gallon. What truck on the road offers all three? I'm going with Frontier Lightning. Am I right? Yes. That's right. Am I right? Am yeah, I right? You're right. Uh, you can head over to uh, NissanUSA.com to oh, I wait. build and price. I have to give you a ding a little oh, late. Thank you. There you go. To build and price the uh, Nissan Frontier for your lifestyle, you can get everything from the uh, King Cab or Crew Cab. <laughs> you can get the 4x2S model, or you can go up to the Pro X, which is also a 4x2, or the 4x4 Pro 4X, or even the uh, Long Bed if you're looking for a, a little more bed space for your midsize pickup. And if you need something bigger and hauls more, then you want to check out the Titan and Titan XD with the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Head on down to your local Nissan dealer and test drive one today. And another quiz for you, Holman. Do you prefer hot air intakes or cold air intakes? I'm going to have to go with cold air intakes, Lightning. And do you prefer bigger filters with greater dust capacity or itty-bitty filters that clog really quickly? I'm going to go with restrictive. No, that's not right. (laughs) I'm going to go with big, high-flowing, high-dust capacity filters, Lightning. And do you prefer stock tube sizes that have the same cross-sectional area as stock so you flow stock air, or do you prefer massive super tubes that can flow anything they want because they have a Banks air mass control module? Lightning, I prefer optimized airflow. Yes, you do! Where can I get those things? We are on fire. This is something something awful. (laughs) Go, come on. Where can I get those things? You can get them at bankspower.com. All you have to do is type in your year, make, and model, and you'll get the new air mass control module that allows the bank's engineers to flow anything they want through the intake that would be otherwise impossible to do if you were any other company. Are you also selling micro machines? No. Okay, just checking. <laughs> micro machine. Because you sound exactly like the micro machine uh, sales dude from the commercials back in the 80s. I don't watch much TV. Oh, really? I do? <laughs> 100%. Huh, no. So go to bankspower.com, type in your year, make, and model to find the best intake for your truck, the Ram Air Intake. And another quiz for you, Holman. Do you prefer twin tube shocks or monotube shocks? Going with uh, monotube lightning. All right, Holman, do you prefer a stock shock that'll blow out with just a few hundred miles or something that's been tested on the Baja 1000? Uh, Lightning, I'm going to go with a shock that can go and tow. Oh, snap! And Holman, do you prefer a cheap white shock that'll last only a few years or one that will outlast your truck? I'm going with outlast your truck, Lightning. Oh, my God! And I'm heading to uh, BillsteinUS.com. Do you think people hate this bit yet? Absolutely. It's awful. (laughs) I will not do this again. But the products aren't. No, so, the products uh, are amazing. So if you uh, want to get the uh, the monotube shock that's going to be designed and tuned specifically for your ride, head over to uh, BillsteinUS.com where you can find some of the best shocks on the market. And Homer, do you prefer an app that will get your co-host home when he's been lost for days out in the woods or one that leaves him stranded for dead? That sucks. <laughs> oh, was I supposed to answer that? I mean, oh, kind of, yes, please. I, I lost interest in your swarmy uh, announcer voice. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, let's end this bit. Uh, I would like for you to come back so we can make more podcasts. So, of course, I'm going to uh, send you over to onyxmaps.com or onyxoffroad.com. You can download the app on either the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. It works across uh, all devices, including your PC. And what's cool is that it syncs across all of your devices. You can create your route on your PC and then sync it over to your iOS device and then, and then actually use it on CarPlay or Android Auto. You can discover off-road trails, public and private land info. You can save your maps for offline use. You can customize it with markups, and you can even use the new Route Builder tool to plan a route and share it with your friends. Point your browser to onxoffroad.com, plan a route, and point your nose of your truck to wherever that takes you. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck, because truck rides with truck show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline the truck show the truck show the truck show it's the truck show with your hosts lightning and holman wonder how many listeners we just drove off with that last bit all of them damn it no the beauty of podcasting is you don't drive them off they just hit the uh, forward button don't tell them that that's there but of course they stayed because they love our advertisers i wonder how many people know that that little 15 second skip ahead button exists i want to know why you think nobody is aware of that i think some people aren't tech savvy it's an arrow (laughs) <laughs> on audio. Maybe they don't know. You think they don't know how to watch YouTube and push the 10-second forward button? Some people may not. Okay, direct all your emails of Lightning <laughs> being aloof and crazy I've to truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. I have watched a lot of people sit through commercials on YouTube. Maybe now they, they like the commercials. Now some are elderly, all right? Oh, no, <laughs> no, okay, we're not getting into your accidental offensiveness. Can we just get okay. into a podcast show that sure. doesn't involve you? Let's jump on into the ACT Expo. All right, I'm going to do this because it's 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 just me. It's like SEMA for medium-duty trucks and big trucks, and there's a battery-powered excavator. All right, I'm at the uh, Advanced Clean Transportation Expo in Anaheim, California, and there's all sorts of cool stuff. I was invited by our friends at Dana, so I'm going to head over to their booth, see if I can find them, and then, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll walk around, learn about some Dana stuff, and see what other trouble we can get into. All right, so uh, that's me at the ACT Expo. I uh, pulled into the parking lot. It's obviously not me. No, of course it's not you. Well, you just said it was you, and then you said it was you twice. Right. It's still me. It doesn't change (laughs) things. And then I walked around for a little bit, and after I got my badge, I uh, wandered and found our friends at Dana. All right, so here I am inside the uh, Anaheim Convention Center at the Advanced Clean Transportation Expo. I was invited by uh, my good friend Seth from Dana, who bailed on me, and he left these two fine gentlemen, uh, Jason and Jeremy, to uh, to babysit me for the day as we walk around and look at some of the uh, the future of, uh, I guess, would be medium-duty vehicles. Medium-duty, heavy-duty, I mean, anything even down to uh... So I say uh, babysat me because basically I had the credentials of a Dana employee. Oh, damn. So they got me in under their booth, and then they kind of turned me loose, and they're like, hey, at the end of the day, can you give us your badge back so we can have other people come in? And I'm like, sure. Did you go immediately into the back of the the, the secret area of the Dana booth to, like, see what kind of goodies they had, like M&Ms and candy and stuff like that? No, I was working. <laughs> you totally uh- White Form 50 type pickup, you'll see some of that here. So, All right, so I'm standing in a convention center. It's exactly how you would imagine it. Soft carpet, 
lots of booths and uh, I'm, I'm in the Dana booth and if you guys go back uh, when I toured some of the Dana facilities uh, maybe last year we talked about some of it I'm seeing some familiar things here but um, lots of orange cables lots of uh, big motors attached to uh, solid axles lots of uh, looks like inverters uh, some drive shafts off of uh, electric motors it's there's it's all scaled up it's all the big stuff that I uh, that I got to see before and today we're gonna actually see these in vehicles which I'm pretty excited about was it uh, what was the feel like at the convention was it like SEMA was it stuffier like Comdex or yeah, something it's exactly like SEMA except it was the you know a lot more OE and and tier one supplier so not as much aftermarket people are more buttoned up a lot more suits and you know collared shirts and things like that um, but very uh, optimistic. In fact, I think they said, gosh, I can't remember who was, you know, in the tens of thousands on attendees. They're actually moving it to uh, Vegas next year. I think they're outgrowing the uh, the Anaheim Convention Center. And uh, several comments of people saying how much it's exponentially grown each year. And it felt fully fledged. I mean, there was there was a ton of companies there and a lot of cool so stuff. Big million dollar booths. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like uh, Cummins booth was enormous. How about Caterpillar? Were they there? Uh, I mean, I don't remember every single company that was there, but I did get a chance to uh, jump into different driver seats and pretend I was playing with big trucks that I don't normally get to. So you guys are taking me around today. So if you want to, uh, what, what's your uh, your name and then your uh, responsibility at Dana? Yeah, so I'm Jeremy Fresnick. I lead commercial vehicle engineering with Dana. been there about uh, 12 years. I'm pretty excited for the show to, uh, this year, and especially today as we unveil some new products. It's going to be a good one. Jason Sanders, I do uh, application engineering for commercial vehicles, so I uh, take the office space definition, like the specs from the customer <laughs> to the engineers, and uh, we work to get the right product for the right fit every time. So are you the guy that has to go back to the customer and go, yeah, we can't do that? We always find a solution. <laughs> it might be a yes and. Yeah, okay. We can, but uh, hang on a second. We'll, we'll figure that out. So here we are. We're in the Dana booth. Uh, I know you guys have some announcements today and some new things that you're showing. So let's uh, let's check those things out. Yeah, great. Sounds like a plan. So I guess since you, uh, you kind of teased the announcement, this is the announcement <laughs> here, right? Uh, we'll just we'll go, we'll go go for the big thing right off the bat and then work our way down from there. Uh, this is new for Dana. Uh, there is a press conference at 3 o'clock, but it is a new three-speed e-transmission designed from the ground up from scratch uh, based on all the components and different acquisitions we've made over the last four years, bringing in uh, different uh, components from inverters, uh, controllers, actuators, clutch mechanisms, everything has come from the acquisitions we've made. And this is a, a purpose-built, medium-duty e-transmission that can go as low as like a Class 5, depending on the application, all the way up through Class 6 and 7. So it is, uh, we're really excited about it, and it's launching uh, mid-2024. So why is this significant? I think, you know, to this point, when we've seen a lot of uh, the heavy-duty trucks and even medium-duty trucks, it has been uh, an electric drivetrain that's been adapted to internal combustion, and they may have had the electric motor ahead of the existing transmission, yep. and now this is basically all electric from the start. Yeah, you've moved from like a P2, P3 configuration to a full electric powertrain. And what the benefit this is providing over like this yard spotter in the corner of the booth over here is that was a single speed motor. By the way, a uh, yard spotter is uh, like what they use at the dock to move like containers around. And it's basically four or, you know, two axles, four tires, a place for a trailer to go, and then just a steering wheel in a box. 
It's like short, stubby, and it's My all buddy, about torque. My buddy, Sean, at the port uh, calls them yard goats. Yeah, they're freaking awesome. So Dana had a yard goat in their uh, in their booth. That just tells you how big the booth was. It took up like a tenth of the booth. Jeez. Attached directly to the drive shafts, you were very, not very limited, but somewhat limited in what your torque and top speed could be. There's only so much you can do to shift that curve. This, giving us the three speeds, enables us to kind of extend that curve out in both directions and really hit top speed requirements and top torque requirements and meet the application needs. So this is good for on-road vehicles, not just a yard vehicle, because you can get those highway speeds as well as hooking up a heavy load and being able to move it. Now, when you talk about an electric transmission, how does it differ from what we're used to with a torque converter and hydraulics, or is it like a big you know, dual clutch or an automatic manual? What makes a EV-specific transmission? It's like maybe one of the benefits, and Jeremy, jump in if you want to at all, but because it's all electric and it's all a motor and we control the, the transmission control unit and the motor, it's really easy to speed match between gears. So we shift out, speed match out the motor, shift it back into gear, and away you go. So there is no extra mechanism for that. We just be speed match and you're good to go. And it's a whole lot better for efficiency losses, right? So with the torque converter, you're inherently spinning up additional components, having some of those friction losses. This, anything you need, you're spinning it up and nothing more. So we asynchronize a fancy word for saying... We match the speed of the motor to the speed that the gears want to see. Uh, we have, as Jason alluded to, a lot of the investments we've made over the years to bring in things like electric motors, inverters, uh, synchronizers, transmission controls. Soup to nuts, we've got the capability to do it all in-house. Now, it doesn't mean in one single location. We're spread out across the world, but that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah, so now basically a customer can come to you and you're not mixing and matching parts with other Tier 1 suppliers. You guys are able to control... The entire sandbox, the, yeah. the hardware and software together, and give a solution that's a one-stop shop, which means that your stuff is talking to each other, that you can control the durability, uh, you're not taking anyone else's word for the quality of their componentry, you know all that. Now, what is the mechanism for shifting? Is it clutches in there? You said you are able to match it precisely. and We have some electric uh, actuators on the top, so those move shift forks. We have uh, synchronizers inside, so for sh- seamless smooth shifts and it's again three speeds so i know people are going to ask you know they're listening and they're not necessarily seeing it it is probably i don't know 18 inches around or so maybe less maybe 16 inches in diameter ish um, and it's what maybe 36 inches long from and, and, and yeah and that yeah. that captures you know about four or five inches of inverter and you got about, what, 8 to 10 inches of motor, and then the remainder of it is gearbox and kind of the yoke attachment for the drive shaft. It's amazing how compact it is. What would the power output class be for something like this? Kilowatts, it's like 350 kilowatt okay. peak power. Continuous is closer to 228 kilowatt, I think. And in the peak torque, again, newton meters, is 7,900 newton meters. Uh, and there's a variant for this also that goes down to 4,700 newton meters, but then gets you slightly different speed requirements also. So it's all about, again, matching it to the correct application. So I actually have a calculator for that because when I was working on a, a potential EV project uh, last year, so I will translate it. Nice. And I'm not guaranteeing everybody my math will be precise. It'll be a ballpark, but I'll get you close. No, I'll look up <laughs> the numbers and verify, but I'm pretty sure those are close to accurate. I don't know if my uh, math is right, but uh, 7,900 newton meters works out to uh, 5,826 pound-feet of torque. <laughs> so, I, mean, that's, I don't know if that's right or not, but it's, it is. It sounds absurd. It is ridiculous. <laughs> that uh, sounds like a, uh, a a ship's engine. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's right. He said 7,900 newton meters. I think that's what he said. 
All right. Well, then that's, I mean, what? 5,000 pound feet of torque? Wouldn't you? 5,826. Wouldn't you want that in your truck? <laughs> Could you imagine? You would literally just spit out your entire rear end, just <laughs> gone. Well, they just fly out and your bumper would be sitting on the ground all squatty and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, that's a lot of torque. Yeah. And keep in mind, too, we have that secondary reduction in the drive axle, so we can match that. So it's a two-speed rear axle? No, it's a it's a single speed, okay. but we can, because we have so many different ratios available in that drive axle, oh, got it. we can well match the transmission to the drive axle for the right solution for the application. So it's all about use case. It gives you basically a gearing solution on both ends, on the, the drive end as well as the rotating end or the wheel end so that you can kind of mix and match those. Yeah, precisely. Put this in a medium-duty city delivery truck. It might be a, a three and a half final drive ratio. You could put it again that yard spider application and throw like a five-five-seven or a six-thirteen behind it, and then bring your top speed down, kick your torque up, and again you're fitting to that application as best as possible. Cool. All right. What's uh, what's next in the uh, Dana booth? Well, we can hit up uh, the E axle. Now we introduced this um, at ACT in 2021. This is our zero eight family of e-axles it's that class 8 size we have a couple different variants here shown Um, again some of the motor technology is eerily similar to what you see in the e-transmission but that's one of the ways we scale and leverage some of the uh, components and systems that we already have in-house so these are additionally uh, three-speed gearbox integrated e-axles for the class 8 market we have a hp 180 motor and hp 300 motor up in the front with the mix and match between the two we can cover a really wide range uh, vehicle applications with these as well. So would this be on the rear drive wheels of a semi-truck, for example? Yeah, exactly. And so you look at a lot of semi-trucks that have dual rear axles. Would you put an E-axle under both in some applications? or? Yeah, yeah. Um, and these are targeted kind of to be pretty modular. So we can have a tandem uh, with it kind of in the configuration you see here, or it can be a single drive. These have plenty of torque, uh, plenty of capability. It literally can uh, rip a house off its foundation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool. So uh, you guys aren't seeing this, but it's basically, if you look at, think about the frame missing, and you're just seeing the rear two axles, and uh, they're sort of floating in space at like a tilted 45-degree angle with uh, the show lights on them, and they're painted really nice, and uh, it just it just looks cool. I mean, it's... Even, even the vent hose coming off of them looks nice uh, on, the, uh, on the housing. But you just look at it, you can tell that it's, it's for a big truck. But again, I'm, I'm amazed. E-axle technology is something that you guys are really pioneering all the way up to this Class 8 size, but even on down to the Dana 60 E-axles where the motor is on for Jeeps and applications like that or full-size trucks. And I guess for me, I'm impressed with the scalability of, of that you know, platform or that design. And the motors are incredibly compact and especially if you're moving the motor to the axle i would think on a semi truck where you maybe aren't worried as much about ground clearance and the things you might be worried about on a jeep with the you know motors uh on the drive shaft side of the housing sitting there that opens up a huge amount of room under the hood for thermal management cooling batteries whatever else it seems like this just completely changes how you would package a, a, a full-size vehicle. Absolutely. It does exactly what, I mean, you well, well laid it out. Um, it opens up a whole lot of space claim on the vehicle to do batteries, depending on the range that you're looking for uh, to handle, and we'll kind of hit that on the next step or stop in the booth. Uh, some of the e-auxiliaries and stuff you can shove under the hood now that you don't have a diesel engine under there. But in the evolution, we'll say from a direct drive, central mount, um, non-geared motor solution, 
into a multi-speed transmission solution or an integrated e-axle solution, depending on where a customer or, or OEM is in that evolution or where, where they're really prioritizing their time, their space, and their energy, we've got a drivetrain solution for them. It, you just want to go up and touch it, and uh, it's, it's just so, so cool how big it is and how burly and you just uh it, it'll be neat to see these on the road i'm i'm Holman, do you know if um i'm listening to these guys talk and they're talking about medium duty and the massive massive torque uh in their e-axles and things like that are they in the race car scene or in the the race car scene well i know that's totally different than what we're, we're talking about here okay. but it seems like <laughs> these axles would like multi-speed electric transmissions mm-hmm. would something would dominate racing aside from this conversation huh are they i'm still they, trying to understand what what point you're making work with me here i'm curious if they yes. talk to you like if are, are these if they said are we taking these semi-truck transmissions and motors and going racing in cars i just feel like would it translate to racing i got well, i'm sure so. i'm sure it's all scalable yeah you have to make sure that the you, know, you have the right case size so that you don't put something in a car that's going to crush it. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, those I axles that. aren't going to fit in a car. I'm just, it was weird. Like, I was, I'm listening to them talk about these the transmissions, multi-speed tra- yeah. electric transmissions, and I haven't heard about, about that in, like... That's why they were making a big announcement. I was there the day they were announcing their multi-speed transmission for EVs. And what is their competition like? Do you have any idea? I don't know. Hmm. Listen, I'm just a dude who loves trucks and a major tier one supplier for massive amounts of industries all over the world said, hey, do you want to be our guest and learn about our stuff? I went, yes. You went, yes. Yeah. Yes, I'll and, then, there. and then they said, we're going to talk to you. And I said, I'm just going to push a little red button on my phone. That says record. To, that record. And mm. then you tell them, well, I'm I'm not even going to be the middleman here. I'm just going to let you talk to them direct. So why get in the way? All right. I'm just going to hit play and let it keep going. Okay. I'm definitely curious to see what happens with, you know, the transformation in the fleet side, which is a lot about what this show is, uh, just because there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, there's a lot of technology. We're at the bleeding edge of it. There's a lot of solutions coming out. A lot of different people have different, you know, directions, and it's going to be really interesting once these are used in the real world to see how it all filters out. Yeah. No, you're right. And I, I like that you pointed out just the, the burliness, the durability that's inherent to it. Dana's been doing drive axles, especially in the CV market, for a long, long time. And there's no way we want to ever erode that goodwill and, and a following that we have in the market. So we take no, no shortcuts when it comes to developing these. We want these to be all about uptime. We're all in this evolution together. So being able to have something that hits the ground running, keeps these trucks on the road, and gives the, uh, the fleets, the, uh, the dealers, the end customers nothing else to worry about, that's why we're here. I guess the other question that I would bring up, too, is you look at the cost of ownership of a bigger, medium-sized, or heavy-duty truck, and especially for those you know, independent contractors, or even, I guess, it matters for big companies as well. My guess would be that moving to an electrified platform, there's going to be a lot less maintenance costs because there's not going to be as many fluid changes and, and you know things like that. And if a, a big truck today, you know, a reasonable life cycle before a rebuild is a million miles, what does that look like on the east side? Time will tell, but we're definitely designing it to be as good or better as what they're used to in the field right now. There's so many possibilities and so much opportunity that gets opened up by doing this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know, Jason, you want to speak to some of the maintenance side. But, uh, Just going to say, yeah, the gearbox may end up being comparable, but you definitely lose your uh, periodic engine oil changes, right? That's gone out the window. 
Otherwise, the motor and the inverter don't need maintenance. They're just, you, you hook them up and they run forever. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'll still have coolant because you still have thermal management. You'll still have brake fluid. Yep. You'll still have, you know, transmission fluid, things like that. But, again, oil change is a pretty big deal. Yeah, oil changes are gone. Yeah. For the <laughs> buckets and buckets of oil that the diesel engines take, those are no longer a factor anymore. Yeah, and uh, the, the brake wear, as you mentioned, is much reduced. They re- regen, obviously, right? Regen is taking care of a lot of that braking for you. I think you're going to see a significant improvement on the dealer side. As- I'm kind of uh, curious, you know, you, you may not think about brake, brakes as being a big maintenance item, but no more Jake brakes going down hills. You just oh, go max no. regen, just fill up your batteries. No more. I know, it's kind of sad, right? But also interesting. It could sound like my wife's 4 by e turning the driveway. Sounds like a Jetsons car is landing. Imagine like 40 years from now and you're down at one of those little towns along the I-70. You know, quiet. The, the Ike. And you're used to just yeah. all that noise. But now, now all you hear is just tires. Just No, they won't be that quiet. You'll still hear the motors going. They sound weird, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Living with one and pulling in. Like I can tell when my wife is coming home versus any other car on the street. Just makes that. Does noise. she have? Is any of that sound it's, artificial? It's, no, it's regen from the uh, from the motor. Oh, you know, basically it's just under load. Making but a lot, motor of, a lot of the cars, electric cars, have artificial yeah. exterior no. sounds. So you know, when they're back. They're being up required at some point by uh, federal regulations. I, I don't think they're required yet. And yeah, her car doesn't have that. It's just the sound of the vehicle, which is interesting. Hmm. Now, is it still air over hydraulic with regen? Is that is air still required on something like this? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's a we'll call it blended braking, but uh, it's all about providing the maximum amount of recovery without upsetting the vehicle dynamics. And there's a fine line there. For anyone that hasn't driven any V yet, experienced regen. When I drive most of our trucks, what we haven't calibrated is very much one pedal driving. I only ever touch the brakes to come to a complete stop. It's it's that much regen braking. I, I, I we also ask the guys to calibrate them pretty aggressively too, just because I do enjoy the one pedal drive. Yeah. Once you do it, you love it. There's I mean. You hate to brake pedal otherwise, normally. Well, there's a couple of settings on my wife's 4xE Grand Cherokee, and, you know, Jeep's got the, the regular regen and a high threshold. Mm-hmm. And I really like the high threshold. Yep. And it took her a little while to get used to it. She goes, I don't know why. When I, t- when I lift off, the thing just, like, slows down. I'm like, well, that's your regen. You want that, right? That's going to, you know, help you increase your range. And so it took her a little bit of time. But now that she's used to it, she loves it. Same thing with my wife. She's got the 4xE Wrangler. And it, I took her a bit. I'm like, no, here's the button. It bumps your region up. Get used to it. She's like, oh, it's kind of nice, actually. Yeah. Once you it's, get used to it. It's funny, too, because some customers earlier on would come to us and say, we want the maximum, as they're specking out what the driveline's going to look like, what the e-axle capability is, we want the maximum amount of regen. We say, you know, we hear what you're saying. Um, <laughs> and one of the ways that we've kind of uh, tempered that enthusiasm is to put them in the trucks yeah. and say, look, here's what you're asking for. Yeah. Now, if your kidneys survive that, <laughs> yeah, right, and then we kind of come back from there. So there, there's a enthusiasm limit, yeah, and then there's a reality. The, the practical application yes. of it is a little bit different than what you might see on paper. Yep, yeah, you can handle that full regen capability about one time before you want to exit the vehicle, throw up, and get back <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah, if you put it in the numbers, some of our applications, like the motor torque is a 2,600 newton meter motor, but then regen is actually capped at 2,000 newton meters. So it, it, and it's even still sometimes they sort of yeah, it's a little much. Well, so. you, you don't want to uh, break your coefficient of traction either with regen, right? I mean, you still have tires that are optimized for the platform, but they still need to stop the vehicle and have, you know, that. So it'd be easy to, 
you know. Yeah, and it's if you've ever experienced um, snow or ice, uh, mm. actual ABS intervention on a regen cycle, it's an eerie feeling. It's a little bit weird. It is weird. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, we've got a controls team that's helping to work with that and work with the you know the slip controls providers as well to make sure we're talking over the CAN bus and making sure that we're responding with torque and pulling torque back when they set that certain TS1 message, TC1 message. Never underestimate the power of the software and controls teams. That's yeah. really the bread and butter of what makes all this stuff work together. Uh, without it, you've got bits and pieces bolted on together in hopes and prayers, but the software and controls guys... Well, thank you. I'm, a, I'm a big aviation buff, and so learning all the history of the flying wings and the B-2 and the F-117, if it weren't for a software controls team, those things would never be flying, and sure. most modern planes couldn't do what they were able to do without that. So, you know, taking that down and distilling it to the on-road market is, a you know, just equally as important to making all these, you know, different components, especially in the transitional period where you have, you know, traditional air over hydraulic brakes, but now you've introduced regen to it, and so there's newer technology being interspersed with older technology that's proven, and it all has to talk and make sense to each other. Yeah, indeed. All right, so we're standing in front of a, uh, a new display that looks like on one end it's a e-axle. It shows uh, controllers in the middle. It's uh, looks like battery management, batteries, cold plates, and on the other end is basically uh, a drive unit or I guess a controller inverter. Is that what that is? Called power electronics cradle. Okay, so it's a combination of pretty much anything needed to run the truck that the engine used to do. Okay, so basically you can design that or adapt it on an existing platform to basically drop in where the engine was, because now in the case of what we're seeing here, there's an E-axle. So what's driving the vehicle is now on the axle, not under the hood, that gives you, uh, you know, room for this cradle to drop in that has all the controls. Yeah, and it's been designed very specifically to sit on the exact same motor mounts that the diesel engine came out of or the gas engine came out of IC engine. So it's, it's specifically designed to drop in for that, and again, replaces all those auxiliary systems. Hey, Holman, how much of the electronics uh, are they doing in-house, Dana? Because everything. I mean, oh, they are. Because because you think of Dana as being more of a hardware company. Nope, they you know, made doing... all these purchases and they've everything in their booth. They literally what we're talking about right here is imagine what it would look like if you had an electric vehicle sitting in front of you, and the body frame, axles and chassis were all gone, and then each of the components was living in space of where they would be on that. That's what this display was showing everything they do. From cooling plates to the batteries, but they're the not they're not hiring out with partners. They're, everything is no, under they, one they, roof at Dana, they so they've bought, got their own yeah. electrical engineering they team. Even, they even bought their own company to make cables, to make electrical cables, so they can control the quality of electrical cables. Wow. Top level on this one's an inverter. Uh, so this this inverter doesn't necessarily go with this E-axle, sure. but if it was a direct system, it could. But you've got your inverter, you've got a high-voltage junction box on top of that, actually. So that's our you know, fuse panel for the whole EV system. Our DC cables coming from the battery, feed that, and then we're sending out different lines to different systems on the whole truck. And there's a lot of orange cables on here. We learned at the last time when we were visiting Dana that you guys bought a cable manufacturer so that you could keep your cables and, and make them to your specs. A lot of the cars are now moving from you know 400 volt architecture to 800 volt architecture which allows more power and charging capability what is it in the big truck market and if it takes me on an 800 volt fast charge setup in a you know a truck two hours or two and a half hours for a full charge what does that look like on the on the heavy duty truck side so again it depends on yeah whether you're doing ac level two charging or dc level three charging size of the battery but most everyone is doing 800 volt i think i know of only a handful of the cvoems that are doing 400 volt systems and again because 800 seems to be the kind of the new place where everybody's jumping off 
the nominal is closer to 650, honestly, okay. but they're that higher voltage up to 800 volt class of system. So all of our Dana TM4 inverter product is good up to just under 800 volts, essentially. And our, our next series of product that's coming out is good to 850 and might even be pushing it past that because we do see the battery storage systems progressing up that, that, that trajectory towards higher voltage. So we're making sure our components can go along with that at this point in time. But the charging time, I mean, yeah, like if you took a... I had a truck on the charger last week. It was a 120-kilowatt battery. Hooked it up to our 62-kilowatt uh, charger, and it was done in two hours. Not, there's not a lot of downtime. So especially for those fleets that might be closed at night, they could charge overnight and have all the trucks ready in the morning. Easily. Easily, yeah. I mean, you said your wife's got the Cherokee 4 by e yeah. My wife charges her, her uh, uh, Wrangler overnight on level yeah. 110. We do the same thing. Yeah. So we've got a, uh, a uh, I guess it's a 40-watt uh, charger. And so it's, unfortunately, it's only, what the I think on the Jeep, it's only seven kilowatt charger on it. So it's only, you can't take advantage of everything. It's two hours kind of no matter. This is me trying to do math on the fly between uh, <laughs> watts, amps, and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still learning. I was never, you know, um, yeah, I was never into a math thingy calculations ever. Mm-hmm. So learning about uh, EVs. Remember that time when you were in class, you're like, where am I ever going to use this math? And I'm like, oh, crap, it's now. Mm-hmm. I was today years old when I figured out I would need math. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. That's just going through your head. Yeah, something like that. Um, what I meant to say, I, I don't remember if I said watt or whatever. Anyway, I, I have a, a, I believe it's a 40 amp charger at home. No, 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 40 watts. No, no. <laughs> and the uh, the charger on the Grand Cherokee and the Wrangler 4xe is only uh, 7 kilowatts? Try again! Amps? <laughs> whatever it is. So it you can't use that full potential of your amps. So no matter whether you're plugged in or not, it's going to take two hours. That was the point I was trying to make. Uh, not a mathematician. Try again. Still. Are you done laughing at me? Woo! I, oh, it's like talking to you. Mm-hmm. I want I want you to explain to me uh, how fast the 800-volt uh, system will charge on a 62-amp uh, charger. We do that in its, in its char. Her, her setup is like our off-peak hours are 9 p.m. So at 9:30, I always get my text notification. Your Grand Cherokee is charging, right? Yep, yep, yep. Same thing. Although I'm I'm cheap, I just use the 110. It takes 10 hours to charge, but that's okay. Well, it's funny because uh, now my wife, if she's running around, she might forget to plug it in. By the way, I was right. 4 by E has an onboard 7.4 kilowatt charger. Boom. So I was right. I was getting it. I do have my my charger at home is in amps, and her car's onboard charger is in kilowatts. So it's just, not forty watts. I'm just feeling vindicated right now. <clears throat> so then we get anyway, other components in that cradle are DC DC inverters, uh, auxiliary system pumps, uh, AC system pump in there, coolant system pump for the motor inverter. Uh, like I said, everything else that the engine would normally be running, we find a way to package into this power electronics cradle, so it's an easy drop in. And like from a kind of manufacturing process, we, we build this thing so that when you drop it in, you unfold the cooler lines, you unfold the high voltage lines, hook them up, and that thing is ready to go. That's amazing. What would a typical conversion take if somebody drove a truck into a shop that was certified to do a conversion? How long before they could drive it out and it would be on the road? If you had everything, all the parts there, somebody knew what they were doing, and it was a uh, you know all your stuff was ready to go. A couple days, probably 
couple days. I think that's what they're doing right now at one of our facilities. They're, I mean, they're bringing in, you know, kind of a rolling chassis and bolting all of this stuff into it. And our build-up process is about two days. So drop everything, hook it up, and that's, you're talking running all the cables, yeah. all the lines, all the wires. That's, it's about a two-day venture. You know, this part, Still pretty amazing. Yeah, when you think about it, yeah, building an EV from scratch, yeah. Now, you guys, we, we saw some of the cooling plates back when we visited Dana in the past, and that technology came from, I, I, I can't remember now, but it was a, a legacy product that it actually worked really well on the cooling plates. Yeah, Long, long Thermal Systems Group, I think. Yeah, that, that uh, was one of the older acquisitions Dana's made, but yeah, it's highly leveraged across uh, light vehicle and commercial vehicle, actually. I think uh, this one actually was from the Lightning, someone told me. So we okay. have product on the Lightning, we have product on the Volt back in the day when the Volt was yep. still thing so dana dana our power technologies group has been supporting ev for well over 20 plus years at this point. well i guess that's something important to, to mention too right is you know dana is known for you know a lot of things probably in the truck market primarily drive trains and axles and gears and but you're not new to the electrification market this is something that you guys have been highly involved in as a tier one for some time now and i think uh there's just more focus on it now than there maybe was in the past. Really ramping it up, especially for the commercial vehicle market, making sure they've got all the products they need to electrify anything from Class 3 all the way through Class 8. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> all right, where, uh, where to next? We know Class 4 or 5. Uh, we'll call it an integrated e-axle. Uh, uses our TM4 LD motor. It's a great drop-in solution for box trucks. City delivery kind of meets that existing architecture, but retrofit into an EV market. For those of you who may not be familiar, it's kind of like a Ford 9-inch where there's a third member that would drop out. But in, ca- in, in place of the third member that would drop out is actually a whole integrated motor assembly that just bolts right to the front side of that axle and basically comes out and then the motor sits at a 90 degree angle to the input on the axle so it's parallel with the axle itself it's got a i guess a controller box on top and super you know efficient on packaging it is yeah it's all helical gearing um single speed so there's no uh shift solenoids no shift actuation nothing like that it does have an integrated park lock mechanism that was a dana in-house design some of our talented engineers put that together works really really well Um, what you see on top of the axle that ends up being chassis mounted the inverter and we've got the high voltage cabling runs down to the to the motor and makes it all happen i guess one of the unintended consequences of moving to ev trucks especially with single speed is we all know that there's a, a job shortage in certain sectors, and finding truck drivers is one of those things. So I'm guessing this is actually going to make it easier to find people to drive because they don't have to learn how to shift the transmission and things like that. It's, it's yeah. just bigger, but you know, from a driving standpoint, there's not a lot of extra things you have to do. If you can drive a car, I would imagine you'd be able to drive an EV box truck. Very much so. Yeah, and, and it's, again, getting into the software and controls piece. That's really where the rubber hits the road, no pun intended, but making it drivable, making the experience positive for, uh, for drivers, being able to get out of whatever they came to work in, hop into this truck, and drive off like nothing's different. That's the, that's the intention. One of the things I've been more proud of is our controls team that does do that. They've done a lot of benchmarking on commercial vehicle-sized trucks and light vehicle-sized trucks and really understanding how they drive and making sure we can make these bigger trucks, to your point, making them accessible to everyone to be able to drive. And you hop into, I guess, some of these bigger box trucks you'll see on the floors we go for a walk, and they really drive quite well. I mean, we've got acceleration management techniques, and just it's easy to drive a 20,000-pound truck. You know, anyone can hop in and do it. I wouldn't be afraid to have my grandma get in and drive one. 
All right, so we're uh, leaving the Dana booth now, and we're walking over to uh, looks like International, and uh, I see a semi chassis. Uh, I see a lot of orange cables. So uh, this looks oh, this looks pretty familiar. It looks just like what we were talking about on the Dana stand, except it is on a, a Class Eight frame. Are those your uh, your e axles that I see? Those are our e axles. That is that zero eight platform we were just talking about. So. There's two of them in here, tandem setup. This is using the smaller HP 180 motor that Jeremy was mentioning. So each of these units is good for uh, 28,000 newton meters of output, total output torque to the wheel end from each unit. So this is neat to see it off of the stand. Obviously, in your booth, it's naked because it's not in an application. And here we are in uh, the international booth. And just what I was asking earlier about, can you have two e-axles working together on a uh, you know dual axles class 8 truck and and here it is and to see it's kind of cool this has all the aero skirts on it and stuff but there's no there's no body it just looks like a giant semi skateboard <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool to see like this be able to see uh, all the different technology and the components out there in uh, full view so the, the giveaway is sort of the rear view. It still has the airbags. From the side, it would kind of look the same, but you can see, I guess that's the uh, the gear splitter, the two-speed rear axle? Yep, that is the three-speed gearbox poking right out the back end. Okay. Yep. So that would be kind of a little bit of the giveaway and maybe sne- kind of seeing some of the orange wires snaking through. As you see, the phase cables coming out of the motor and then winding back up towards the inverters. Yeah, and you've got our transmission control unit right here on top as well. It's easy to spot. So it's it's funny to see uh, the the... You know you're at a show when the entire frame is gloss black and beautiful and the hitch is a massive piece of billet aluminum. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's not standard for sure. Without, without a drop of grease in sight. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's no, there's no grease. It is pretty, though. It's funny because it has a, like a wear pad on top uh, so you don't gouge the, uh, the billet, but it's, uh, it's so cool. All right, so I'm going to walk around the side of it. So we're at the back now. Now we're looking at the side. And again, this has kind of the, the aero uh, skirt on it uh, in the back. It's uh, got the, I would assume the batteries on this would be a midship. Yeah, so side chassis mounted, side uh, external uh, frame rails. I'm not sure what the exact capacity on this is. It's comparable to some batteries we've used in the past as well. I'm, I think it's around 320-ish kilowatt hours is the total capacity to put in this truck maybe. You can look that up later and figure it out, but uh, it's it's a it's a sizable battery pack between the whole chassis. So, what would a truck outfitted like this be used for? Regional haul is most of the likely application. I mean, yeah, that's what you've seen all the all the long haul stuff. You just yeah. can't put enough battery in the darn truck. Yeah. To, to me, it's like the long haul stuff. Really, fuel cells is kind of probably where it's at because of how discharge range and all those things. But a truck like this might be. The, uh, the tractor trailer that delivers your local grocery store for a distribution center or something like that? Exactly. The local distribution type stuff. Exactly. So I think this is where EV makes sense, too, in the truck market is that inner city where there's a lot of traffic, a lot of stop and go, you know, things like that. I think it probably, you know, it's probably the sweet spot of the marketplace is, is taking off, you know, some of those uh, internal combustion engines there and replacing them with, uh, with EV in, in that particular use case. 100% agree. That's uh, one of the things we do with our application process also is looking at, okay, what's the first question? What's your duty cycle? What are you actually going to run this thing? How are you going to use it? 
okay, well, single speed might make more sense for you, actually, based on the fact that you never get above 40 miles an hour and you only do 60 miles a day. But, but again, for the more slightly regional application, multi-speed kind of extend that torque and speed uh, kind of points again makes sense. So we always try to make sure, like I said earlier, we're picking the right product for the right application. So the motor doesn't care where it's getting its electricity from. So in this case, there's batteries and you know all the components that go with it. Now, would you be able to plug in your motors to a fuel cell vehicle, and would do they have the duty cycle, and would they be appropriate for a truck? So if somebody said, hey, well, we're doing a fuel cell, I don't know if you guys are working on them or not, but obviously the drivetrain downstream from the electric source, is this still, you know, you're able to grow into those other technologies? Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, we've designed our systems to be, we'll say, fuel source or power source agnostic, mm-hmm. so we're happy to feed the motors, essentially, from any source. And it kind of makes it well-suited. As Jason indicated, there's as nice as it would be, there's no one style or one solution that fits all markets. So because of that, we've got to be ultra-sensitive and ultra-flexible to whatever's upstream of our solution. But yeah, it works with uh, regardless of power source. And I'd say that's not just a statement. We have put this into a fuel cell truck, so it is it is real. It's not just, yeah, we're power agnostic. Yeah. We actually are power agnostic. We don't care. You feed us the juice, we'll make it go. That's awesome. I think it's just, just the uh, the scalability to have the right product for whatever the customer wants to power, however they want to use it. But to me, it's fascinating. Just I guess the that duty cycle, I guess between fill ups. I mean, you're really going hours and hours of running with huge torque loads and and you know lots of weight and kind of all all the things that you know. I don't want to say bad for the drivetrain, but all the things that tax the drivetrain. So to be able to match that and still have the, the electric motors be able to do that for these long stretches is pretty cool. I mean, it's it's the, the nerdy math part of the process, but I do really enjoy still getting to do the math and uh, figure out what the best fit for the application is. It's funny. We have a lot of uh, engineers who listen to the podcast. We've got a lot of uh, science guys and a lot of, like, truck nerdy people. And we'll have guests, especially companies like you come on, that have a really complicated product. And you're talking about newton meters and, you know, this and that. And well, is that too much? I'm like, our people love it. Every time we have something super technically in-depth, they just eat it up. So so just, you know, keep, yeah, don't don't uh, don't dumb it down for me. Keep it a high level. I'll shrug, but my listeners will get it. That's fun. We love it. And we do everything from full bearing durability analysis, looking at startability, gradeability, top speed requirements. Um, actually going through and running CFD on the loop flow within the gearbox itself to make sure that if we mount these things in a forward, like motor forward or motor rearward condition, we're still getting the right lubrication flow throughout the entire gearbox to make sure bearing seals are all getting the lubrication and the coolant effect that they need from that that lube. So it's not just a fitted here. We try to make sure that we're designing it so that we can cover all these applications from A to Z, and then pick the right one for the right time. And that's a, I guess that's a pretty, you know, huge point too. Is is you know how fluid flow is when you're you're using something for a long term. You have the you know the problem solving of you know cavitation, obviously getting air whipping up into foam. Where now your viscosity is not there. It's not lubing. It's not cooling. So those are all things that you guys have to think of because, like you said, the motor may be mounted in a bunch of different ways and they have to be you know capable in any uh, mounting uh, direction yeah absolutely i don't know if uh, any of your previous visits to our, our uh, test lab center if you've gotten to see some of the axles we actually cut giant windows on the side so you can actually watch the loop flow and verify the cfd results so we'll do the cfd up front and then actually monitor and make sure yep it's spinning the way it should it's not foaming up the way it shouldn't yeah so it's all that goes into uh, our design review process 
That's a lot of stuff. We even have a really cool spin stand that not only lets you run it flat, yeah. but we run it side to side, up down, kind of uh, simulate yeah. conditions that you wouldn't even want to get a <laughs> yeah. vehicle into, but get into lateral G-forces, acceleration, up-down grades. Just want to look at all the use case scenarios. I, that's why I'm not a uh, you know uh, electric drivetrain engineer because I wouldn't even think about half that stuff. Well, if we don't think about it, our customers find it, <laughs> yeah. and that's the wrong time to find <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, good, good point. Yeah. So one of the questions I have is off highway vehicles. So we're looking at the on road vehicles, on highway vehicles right now. But what is different for some of the off highway stuff? I, I obviously there's all sorts of things. There's the the you know from the port, whether it's just the tractor that moves boxes around to a, a loader to I don't know, there's a gazillion different things. Are there differences in your setup for off-highway stuff versus on-highway? A little bit, yeah. Again, it kind of goes back to duty cycle and then packaging. Off-highway and CV bridge this weird world of, we call heavy vehicles sometimes. So you've got terminal tractors as low as 40 tons all the way up to 110 tons. And as they go up in scale, they kind of tend to move into our quote-unquote off-highway group. And that's where we are looking at, again, your higher GVWs, higher direct torque loads through the gearbox so it does transition to more of a off-highway mentality into some of the design work and the applications and duty cycles lower speed higher weight etc etc so we've also got here in the booth uh we call our esp 502 which is a two-speed uh transmission design specifically for these higher off-highway applications again probably the to your point the biggest trade-off is probably going to be top end speed and higher weights absolutely so that that 502 is really capped at like i think uh, like just call it 30 ish, 35 miles an hour. That's as fast as you're ever going to get it to go, no matter what gear you put in the differential in the rear yeah. end. So, but again, off highway stuff, they don't care about top speed. Yeah. They care about just they're moving, m- pulling down power. Yeah, they're they're moving giant boxes or containers from point A to point B in the terminal, and they want to do three at a time instead of one at a time, yeah. even if one gets picked up at a time, right? They want to be efficient to get things off the dock and, and to where the staging area is for the on-highway trucks to come pick them up. Yeah, like those giant reach stackers you see in the ports and the really, really big fork trucks and the terminal tractors, and we're, we're in CV, we're looking more at the, the smaller 40-ton terminal tractor. They're looking at the big 80 and 110, 20-ton uh, terminal tractors. So, but we all, we all again, we're all different business units under the same one-day an umbrella, so we all talk nice, play nice, and make sure that we're using the right product again for the right application. Same team, same team. That's right. <laughs> all ends in at Dana.com. All right, so we're walking through the show, and we just came up on a, a giant yellow school bus. So um, this one is made by Lion, and this is, uh, this is a Dana customer. So what is the setup on this particular chassis? Yeah, so this, uh, this particular vehicle and a lot of the Lion vehicles are direct drive, so they're integrating existing type of architecture with an electrified driveline. So a uh, direct drive motor, no transmission, no gearing, drive shaft, traditional drive axle. So a really good clean integration, quick to get it into market, and does a really good job. So this is something that probably has lower development costs for the end user like a school district because it's an existing platform that they've been able to electrify for those who want to go down that road but maybe don't want all the costs associated with the clean sheet design. Yeah, indeed. And the school bus is a great duty cycle for this because it's morning and afternoon. There's plenty of time in between to charge. There's plenty of time after school to charge. Um, In fact, a lot of school districts and uh, infrastructures like that are trying to look at these vehicles not only as point-to-point transportation, but actually as like a microgrid capability. So depending on how much battery capacity they put in the trucks, they may have quite a bit extra to do other things. So this has, what is it, a 220 horse, something like that, 250? So this is a uh, 250 kilowatt, 335 horsepower, which sounds pretty good, 1,800 pound-feet of torque. 
How does that compare to a typical internal combustion drivetrain? Is that pretty much, you know, match power-wise? Except for the fact that the power comes on immediately, sure. as you'd expect. It's, uh, it's pretty similar to what they'd have with a diesel truck. Awesome. So, Homan, as we're listening to that last part of the uh, interview there, as you're walking around the show, I'm poking around on Dana.com, and I find out that they make a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission designed for high-performance cars with a central engine and a transaxle. They've teamed up with freaking McLaren. So you're talking about a mid-engine car? Mm, uh, it's a central engine right here. Okay, yeah. mid-engine mid, mid car. Engine, yes. So they're already making race car parts. Yeah, it's Dana. Yeah. No, I didn't know. They're, they're not new to the world. Can I be honest why I was asking that question? I don't know. Does it make it better? I mean, we're exploring different avenues uh-huh. for race car parts for Pikes Peak. No. Okay. So I'm particularly curious. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hit play. Okay, so I'm walking around, and uh, I see the Nikola booth, and who do I see? Our old friend Dan Pass from, uh, from Nissan. But your badge says Nikola now. What is this? Well, I got to be honest with you, Sean. I I love this place. It is an amazing, inspiring organization. And as soon as I interviewed with the man you're about to talk to uh-huh. next, and as soon as I went and rode in the trucks and saw the facility, I knew I had to be there. And I tell you, because this is a real game-changing organization, changing the world of diesel trucks. All right. So who do we have here? The man who's about eight feet taller than you and I both. That's right. <laughs> Well, my name is Michael Oshel. I'm the CEO of Nikola. I'm, I'm only six foot eight, right? So <laughs> only, to be honest, right? I mean, I mean eight whoa, inches. Whoa, eight whoa, inches. whoa, 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 whoa. He is six foot eight. You cannot miss him. You're like, hey, where's the CEO at? Oh, he's the guy in the corner that's standing four feet above everybody else. Yeah, I worked with a guy who was six four and six six. Yeah. And they were they would tower over me. Yeah. Six six was really tall. Six eight is I'm s- Holy I'm sorry Christ. if the audio is bad, but I had to help extend my arm all the way up to reach him <laughs> so that he could uh, do this interview. Mm. Uh, no, I was super gracious of him to uh, to jump in, and and uh, I thought this was kind of a, a cool little get from the show. So they've got a uh, legit CEO for the first time. <laughs> Just uh, moving right along. So last time we were at Nikola, we went down to the Arizona facility. We had a different CEO. It was a different set of circumstances. The company has matured and evolved since then. And you guys are now starting the sales of the tray in both hydrogen and battery power, which is the big trucks. Tell us a little bit about where Nikola is today. And and since you've come on board, where have you taken it? What's the direction? What's the future for Nikola? Sure. Very happy to do so. So first of all, last year in April, we launched our battery electric truck in our state-of-the-art factory in Coolidge. So we have a real battery electric truck in the market now. We produced 258 trucks last year. Now we sold trucks to the dealers and to end customers. So Nikola has a real truck, real technology, real factory, real people. And real by the custom- way, that is absolutely true. I pass a uh, the Quinn Caterpillar dealership yep. off the 605 freeway, and they must have 20 of them. Yep. They went big on Nikola. Yeah, they're, uh, we're starting to see them driving around uh, the uh, SoCal area. And, of course, uh, Phoenix is where they're based. So uh, we're starting to actually see them out in the wild. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty exciting considering that we had one little tiny uh, speck of that history there we were a part of-ish. Ish. Still weird. Super weird. Absolutely. 2023 is all about the launch of the fuel cell truck. Time to market. We are the first in the market. Fuel cell truck has a range of 500 miles. It fuels within 20 minutes and comes with a lot of energy and torque. So 
It's an amazing piece of technology. So this is really very important for us during the year 2023. But on top of that, we also provide the energy infrastructure, meaning we will produce green hydrogen in Arizona. We will distribute it to California and then dispense it in up to 60 stations here in California. We made a big announcement today with Volterra, a partner. They will build up up to 50 stations. Wow. So back to your question. What we try to do is like real things, real trucks, real technology, real factory, real people. And we want to be humble, but where we can be confident, like for the fuel cell truck and our technology, we want to be confident and say we are the first in the market. I think for you guys, uh, fuel cell is huge because for last mile delivery trucks, we've talked about it. Electric makes a lot of sense. But over the road for interstate travel, because of the weight of the batteries and the way, you know, energy has to be stored, hydrogen fuel cell is really the right choice to be the next step going away from diesel. So to have a hydrogen fuel cell truck that is ready to, to, to take on those 80,000 pound loads at interstate is, is huge in the industry right now. That's consistent with what customers are telling us, because who am I? I just want to make sure that our customers are happy, and they give me exactly the feedback. Like in ports, the electric truck is actually very interesting. Everybody goes the same route every day, um, but if you need more more range, um, then the fuel cell truck is probably the better choice, and uh, that's why it is fantastic that we have, in a few weeks, both trucks into the, in the market, and we feel very good about that. So what's the future of Nikola moving forward? Is it a two-truck strategy? Or are you going to have a different models? Obviously, the consumer division is, is gone now, and the focus is on the medium and heavy-duty segments. Where do you go from here? Yeah, our focus is clearly on the fuel cell truck because that truck has more potential in combination with the energy business because what we try to do is we try to disrupt the truck business plus the energy business. Right. And, of course, that's a lot. At the same time, we have to do it because customers need both. If you just have a truck and no hydrogen, that is not sufficient. And I think we are uniquely positioned to do both. And we also try to do both, whereas many other competitors just say, look, a truck is sufficient. It's not. Yeah. We have to do both. Well, that's sort of like how Tesla entered the battery electric vehicle market by doing their own charging stations. You're essentially doing the same thing, but with hydrogen fueling stations. And what that does is it it accelerates the infrastructure for your customer and hopefully pushes the industry in that direction, right? That is absolutely correct. And, of course, we, we have a many, many benefits because with the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., also there's a lot of attention, also a lot of public support. So the time is right for hydrogen. The time is right for our truck. And, yeah, uh, we, we, we're excited. Well, uh, congratulations on uh, the battery electric vehicle. Congrats on the soon-to-be-released uh, hydrogen electric vehicle. And uh, we look forward to having uh, Nikola on the show in the future and maybe go a little more in-depth into the technology at some point. Excellent. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for uh, getting us the uh, interview with the CEO. You, uh, what's your new position? Global? Is that gl you're the global PR guy? Is that uh, global head of marketing and communications? Wow, that's yeah. that's pretty impressive. I, I just want to say that you're doing right by the media because you had a frosty cold Dr Pepper ready for me. Number one rule of comms is know your audience. <laughs> I know you, my friends. Thank you. We uh, there's a different kind of brown water we need to go uh, consume soon. Looking forward to that. No joke, he had ice-cold Dr. Pepper. He didn't even know I was going to be there. Saw me from across the booth and held up one finger, disappeared, and came back with a frosty-cold Dr. Pepper, and it was in the palm of his hand as if he was displaying it to me, and he goes, 
do you want to sit in the truck? And I went, yeah. <laughs> Where did he get it? Did he go to the uh, the, the, the stand? No, it was he, he had Dr. Pepper on in hand booth. in the booth. Oh, so he went in the back where the refrigerator is and made sure that I was uh, well. Uh, so he moved. knew you were coming. No, he didn't know I was coming. Then I didn't how know did he, he, he's a Dr. Pepper fan. Yeah, he just knows that Dr. Pepper's preferred eight to one by media. <laughs> where did you get that stat? I made it up right now. I figured you did. It's actually 15 so, to 1 in this podcast room. The new CEO seems like they're executing on Trevor Milton's... Part of it. Like it was Trevor Milton's vision. Of I, having hydrogen, having right. a station and a vehicle, having soft and hard parts, having the infrastructure with, you know, selling it with the vehicle. You can get your fill-ups here and there. So, yeah, they're attacking it from multiple sides, which is kind of what was... You know, I, love, I don't think. Listen, the story I, really is amazing. Someone's going to make a documentary out of it, right? Like because Trevor Milton, he, he raised a ton of money, yeah. defrauded he, a lot of people, was, all the right, stuff right. that he's accused of, uh, right? allegedly, allegedly. I, guess, I don't remember. Yes, whatever. I don't so want to anyway, get in the middle of it. So maybe he did bad stuff. I don't know. Let's just say that. <laughs> but he still was a visionary. But he was a visionary. That's the thing. Or yeah. at least, well, at least we think he was because maybe he got the ideas from other people, but then, not in this industry. He did revolutionize the the mindset, and what he started is to market now. So, well, that's my point: is that even if it's not what, like it was all vapor, was the lady the medical device thing who, who made nothing? Sarah something? She whatever. She didn't make anything, right? The, the blood measuring things that was going to be in every CVS, right? But was there ever a product that came out of it? I don't that believe worked? so. No, this is a product. I, I mean, he at least laid the groundwork. Well, that, well, I'm not, that, that's and I'm, I'm not saying. defending him. He's a, a according to the. Things that have been said, he's not the world's best human, and I'm not defending that. I just find it interesting that a company oust its founder and CEO and is able to still keep in with the vision and build something tangible out of it. I, I uh, am agreeing with you. I think that so many people had written Nikola off for dead. Yeah. And yet the vision was so strong that people, the investors and others, new CEO comes to town and just... They're making it a reality, like legitimately. It's cool. Yeah. Well, and and again, I, I think it's it's legitimately a real business that has real backing, that's making tangible products, and that's not where it was headed. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. What else you got? Okay, I, uh, I stumbled across the uh, Toyota booth, and then who's here? And it's my old friend Josh Burns, who uh, used to be like me at uh, another magazine doing off-road journalism. And then he got sucked into uh, PR, and then he started climbing the corporate ladder. And it's like, dude, what are you doing here at the ACT Expo? I mean, you're probably asking me the same thing. What am I doing here? Yeah, but uh, I, I think I'm on the first or second rung, but I appreciate <laughs> that, Sean. Yeah. So uh, Toyota, obviously, you guys have a long history with fuel cells. But this is more of a medium-duty, heavy-duty show. So where does Toyota fit in all of this? Yeah, great question. So, I, I mean, really we have 30 years in hydrogen research. Um, and I think a lot of that is coming to fruition here. Obviously, we've had the light-duty Mirai on sale since 2015 um, in California because the infrastructure is in place. But on the heavy-duty front, you know, we really went into this exploration back in 2017 of can we apply this technology because it's scalable? Can we make this application work for Class 8 trucks? You know, and that's really where this went. Um, that's amazingly ambitious from the standpoint of making, if not the first, one of the first hydrogen fuel cell cars available on, on the market, right? And then jumping into Class 8. I mean, that's a huge leap. Yeah, in a very different world, right? Sure. So, I, I mean, 
2017 really began that effort. Um, shortly thereafter, we partnered with um, Packard's Kenworth brand and worked on a, a T680 that used the fuel cell chassis. That later developed into a proof of concept that we did at the Port of Los Angeles with Shell, the Port, uh, and Kenworth. We actually had 10 trucks that were in operation in drayage routes, working for a little over a year. I mean, COVID was kind of in the midst of that, so there's a little bit of challenge there. But um, yeah, it was it was a real-world proof of concept actually serving four real-world customers. Um, and then we come to today... And this is really uh, an announcement we made with PACAR that both Kenworth and Peterbilt will be offering commercialized version of uh, their trucks with our fuel cell powertrain. So that's awesome. That's huge. So I mean, you're basically partnering with another tier one, you know, yeah. manufacturer in, to in this in this applica- in this yeah. in this application specifically. We really are more of a tier one supplier, yeah. right? It's a little bit of a different role for us in that regard, but exciting news, you know. Exciting news for the fuel cell team that have been working on this for so long. You know, this is that would have that journey. And as I say, I would imagine that the the duty cycle and the learnings that come out of heavy duty would directly translate to knowledge base for the car side of the business too, right? I mean, there's there's value there because there's such a different use case that is probably going to uh, improve durability, dependability, even more than the data that the company might have with passenger cars and light duty. Well, it's interesting. I, I think in some ways what we did in light duty actually worked moving into heavy duty. The, the scalability of the technology, I think, is what has a lot of great applications for the future, whether it's energy storage, whether it's stationary storage, uh, obviously light and heavy-duty transport. But I think it's kind of one of the overall Toyota approaches right now of offering a portfolio of options. I mean, in some regards, you know, it might sound like there's one option and one option only of the future, but, I mean, I think there's going to be multiple options, right? And electrification is coming. You know, we we know that. And and how do we embrace it? I mean, look at today's lineup, right? You've got your traditional gas vehicle. You've got your hybrid electric vehicle. By the way, the new Prius is really awesome looking. Yeah, it's I, it's, it's a stunner, I, surprisingly. I would actually consider that as my as my daily just to get around. I, I really like the way that car came out. It came out really good looking. Um, yeah. Of course, you got the, uh, the Mirai from a hydrogen standpoint. And Toyota's made an announcement saying, listen, we're not just going to abandon ICE. We're looking at hybrids, and, and ICE is still going to be part of our future going forward. And I, I honestly think there's a, other, there's a couple companies, GM with their small blocks, and a couple other companies that said, we're not abandoning ICE. I think for certain people, the use case for ICE still exists. And it's great to see Toyota not only forging forward with the advanced technologies like fuel cell, but still realizing that there has to be some practicality in, in how we transition and that there's a place for you know more traditional powertrains. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a battery electric vehicle on both the Toyota and Lexus brands that are in the market right now. But as infrastructure is built and as the future is built out, you know, not everyone has the same needs, not everyone has the same access. So I think it's providing options and, you know, maybe it's it's zero carbon options, but it might be carbon reducing options, you know, that they transition into that future. But, you know, the idea is to not leave anyone behind and offer options that are both affordable and practical for their daily use. I mean, I think Toyota is probably, at least on the light-duty side, one of the most varied manufacturers when it comes to product lineup. You literally have everything from battery all the way through hydrogen. So there is something for everybody, and I think you guys are proving that it's really going to be a tapestry of technologies and not just one that's going to do everything. And, and it's it's really interesting to see you guys scale up the fuel cell into the, the big trucks because that was something that I wasn't expecting. Just just wandering around, it's like, oh, Toyota on a pack car. What, what, okay, they're like, cool looking Kenworth. What's the story here? Yeah, it's awesome. I, and you're right. I mean, I think part of it too is our global footprint. 
we have the perspective of, you know, what the challenges exist outside of just North America, you know, outside of, of Europe and Asia. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. And, and again, it, it's, it's a great moment, I think, for the fuel cell development. And, you know, I think there's a lot of other applications that we'll still explore. Um, stationary is another opportunity. Uh, but this is this is really cool to get this one off the ground. Well, awesome to see uh, you here, obviously, and the product. But, dude, it's it's great to see your success of being a uh, lowly, dirty journalist like myself <laughs> and, and now wearing a... Uh, <clears throat> Almost a suit at, uh, at some no expo. Tie. There's no tie. There's no tie. Good. I, I wouldn't be able to do a tie either. It's just too constricting. All right, brother. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. So Holman, he's a, he was a journalist and uh, works for Toyota now, and then there's you. And there's me who works for nobody now, <laughs> which is weird. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I walked around, and, and I came across Bollinger, and it was interesting because uh, they had their B4, which is the uh, electric commercial lineup, but their B1 that we originally talked to Robert about was in their booth. Come to find out, I missed him by like six hours. Mm. He's coming in after uh, I was there, and apparently now that they've got the commercial stuff up and running, they're going to start putting some engineering resources toward the B1 again. So I want to get him back on the show and talk about that, but uh, basically here's uh, just my my goodbye to the show. All right, lighting, there it is. That's uh, me from the show floor here at the uh, ACT Expo in Anaheim, California. Uh, it's been really awesome seeing all sorts of advanced technologies, whether it's uh, EV or hydrogen fuel cell, propane, natural gas, all sorts of interesting stuff. You've got Kenworth and Cummins, and you've got Peterbilt and... Toyota and uh, our friends at Nikola, uh, Zeus, the company that makes those really awesome, fully independent, medium-duty trucks that kind of look like a mix between a military vehicle and a medium-duty uh, chassis cab. Uh, Bollinger, uh, just, just so much to see here. I'm uh, I'm glad I had a chance to go, so a special thanks to our friends over at Dana for, for inviting me, but uh, I wish you were here. I, I really I really do, except it would have probably been a four-hour show if you were here. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up and see uh, See you back in the studio. Next time you, you should come with me. You uh, uh, or, or, or not. Yeah, I was going to say, you lied right there. You wouldn't want me to travel with you. That's not true. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> you love doing your little independent man on the street interviews. Is that what that is? Man, at the, man on the street? Well, yeah, I think it's man, man at the convention. You love going rogue and doing your own thing. As do I. I enjoy it. But I think we're pretty good together. As much as you hate it. I'm sorry. Were you, were you saying something? <laughs> I, I, you knew you I, weren't no, even paying attention. I, I thought you were just carrying on what? or something, so I zoned Douche. out for a second. You're the dick. What? You're a dick. You, I'm sorry. Were you saying something again? Nope. Okay, good. I at Holmes, it's email time. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. We email. That's right. Everybody email. Type it up. You email. Proofread. I email. Send it. All right, who's uh, going first, Mr. Coleman? You. All right, here we go. Uh, subject line is another one from Doug Bassett. Hey again, you two. Second time emailer, long time listener. I've been uh, meaning to ask this. What's up with the new Toyota Sequoias? They have a solid rear axle. The previous model was independent. Help me understand or not. Whatever. Asking for a friend. <laughs> Stay cool, Doug. Okay. <laughs> Asking for a friend. Uh, well, I it shares a platform with a new Tundra. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It is a platform made of the Land Cruiser, which is also the Lexus, all of which have solid rear axles. That doesn't fully explain it because uh, uh, even Expeditions and Suburbans, which have chassis mates, have IRS now. Uh, I think just the complexity. I think uh, they wanted to have something with a little bit more uh, towing durability. Uh, and this generation Sequoia has a lot more uh, towing capacity than the previous one. Uh, so I think it's about cost. And I think without IRS, uh, they could get more towing out of it and charge uh, more with more profit. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Why design something if you don't have to? You know, and, they, and Toyota is kind of known or going after being the off-roady brand. And so they have the TRD, uh, you know, pro Sequoia. Well, IRS, at least in the OE world, doesn't really do great off-roading well. Right. You need a solid rear axle. I think most enthusiasts prefer that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What'd you got? I got this really interesting one here from uh, Iva and Enrique from Iberica Off-Road. This is Enrique from Iberica Overland. Uh, we have a YouTube channel about overlanding here in Spain, but we try to travel as much as possible all around Europe and beyond. We discovered your podcast and listening to the Overland Journal podcast that Holman was on, and I'm totally addicted to the show. I listened to all the recent episodes and started from episode one now to uh, about halfway. Yeah, crazy, but I have a lot of time since I'm in the process of building a camper for my Ford Ranger, which at the same time is becoming a business. So your interviews with entrepreneurs are a huge motivation for me. By the way, my wife has published some articles at Overland Journal and Expedition Portal, and we'll be attending the big overlanding event here in Germany this summer. I think Overland Journal will be present there as well. It would be great to do any type of collaboration or just get in touch somehow. We'll be producing some videos for our YouTube channel. and love to do any kind of collab with you guys. And just a few more things. I already give you five stars on Apple and would send you a Titan picture, but we only have Navaras here, which brings me to something you guys asked for on your show. If people, uh, well, of, we'll take a we'll take a Navarro photo. Yeah, he said a bunch of some stickers. Yeah, some great Navarro photos. He says if uh, people out of the USA love American cars like the Bronco, and the answer is yes, we love everything big and nonsensical that we can't afford or maintain. <laughs> the same way you guys over there dream with Hilux and other small vehicles. And last thing I promise, please don't stop checking those parameters. Best Enrique Pacheco. So if you want to send him stickers, there's his address right there. For I will, Madrid, uh, I'll do that. And uh, did you know that we're the number one truck enthusiast podcast in Spain? Are we? Yes, we are. Or are you just saying that? Just saying it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've does, actually... it, does it make it true? But I believe it. Okay. Uh, I've, uh, I've actually been to Madrid. Beautiful, beautiful city. I have not and would love to go. Received Truck Show Podcast stickers, subject line from Philip Faust. Hey, guys, thank you very much for sending out the vinyl. It's on the rear window of my 90 pickup mini truck. Since here in SoCal, we're always stuck in traffic. I put it on the back window where it would be seen the most. And being from SoCal, when was the last time you saw the other sticker on my back window of the Toyota Talk? Talk about a throwback. The other Truck Show podcast sticker, I figured I'd put it in the same spot on my other truck. Keep speaking the truck gospel. I will keep attending Truck Church. Take care and five stars. Congratulations. You have earned five stars. It's uh, very cool. I got this one from uh, Evan Jones. It says, Monday morning, whiskey bourbon talk. Sup, Evan? Lightweight and whole man. I really appreciate the start of episode 18 with a quick whiskey talk. And as I write this while sitting on the throne and listening to episode 19, we're trying some local Long Beach whiskey now. As Lightning is a bourbon whiskey newbie and Holman is a pro, this will give us normal guys a great idea of the taste, smells, and uh, the shakies of each drink. I can already see myself buying more bottles if this continues, and I hope it does. Add one more star to the rating as my favorite podcast just got better. Six stars. 
Keep up the great work, fellas. And an OG Emmy, yeah, buddy, from Jeeper Jones. Yeah, buddy. So I need to go back to the last email that I read, and he was talking about the other sticker on his truck. He was talking about the Bad Boy Club. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> on his Toyota that was a pickup big truck. thing right. back in the day. Bad Boy Club. Man, those stickers were lame even back then. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Okay. But I appreciate you uh, calling it out. I, I like looking at it. You mean you like rem- remember the uh, days where you would uh, cause mockery? That's uh, we were wearing Jimmy shorts and like uh, Maui and Sons and all that stuff. And no, we were Bugle Boys and Jams yeah, and we like Oakley razor blades. Fluorescent this and fluorescent yeah. that. Woo. It's coming back. We were a mess. No, it's not coming back. It came back for a minute. Now it's gone. No, it's not gone. Yeah, it wait is. Wait till summer. Dude, here in HB, just wait till summer. All neon again. I'm not okay with that. So this uh, subject line, stickers from Evan Hoover. I can't believe, but I got my stickers. I put one of them on my O2 Peterbilt 387 and one on my 96 Silverado. I'm loving the show since you guys took ownership. So great. Keep those parameters mounted and yeah, buddy. Got this one uh, from Matt Herbs, uh, and the title is Nicola. Hey, guys. Wanted to share my recent work trip that brought me to a vendor here in Michigan that's working with Nicola to install chargers for their trucks. During my visit, they offered to show me around their facility and parked out back with two Nikola trays. I was able to climb in and check them out. They were nice. The cab was a bit strange being a half-sleeper. I've included a couple pictures. Also, thank you, Lightning, for the stickers. I received them earlier this week. I appreciate all the hard work you both put in the show. I truly feel I'm getting my freeze worth. Yeah, you are, pal. Uh, can't wait for your online store to open so I can give back more by buying some merch. Matt. And, uh, yeah, so the interesting thing is uh, the Nikola trays are cab overs. And when I got in one at the uh, expo, there's literally a ladder. You open the door, and in front of the front wheel is a ladder to get in. And it's not easy. It's a hike. But once you're up there, talk about a commanding view of the road. And uh, the interiors on them are, are fantastic. It's actually uh, really high quality, feels really good, and I was actually really impressed. So here's some photos he sent us of the uh, Nikolas. Oh, yeah. Being, uh, Those are the ones I've seen yep. sitting at the cat dealership. Yep. It's weird. I don't get the, uh, forgive me, but I don't understand the the cat dealership buying the Nikola big rigs. I don't. Are they servicing them there? Is it an no. independent dealership? They're, it's Quinn. They're all over the, the West. Okay, so they, they're probably just a dealer for Nikola. They probably picked up, there's lots. Yeah. Think of it as your local, uh, whatever the motorsport, Delamo Motorsports. They sell Hondas and Cowies and Yamahas. Same thing at the semi-dealers. Okay. Uh, hey, lightning and whole butt. So <laughs> No, that's, that's not what that says. It's not what that says. You can't, you, you can't change what the, the listener says in their email. Yeah, it's a lightning holster. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so uh, apparently I must have uh, helped him out with it. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, this will make sense in a second here. So, hey, guys, I just installed my pedal monster and went for a test drive, but I have a little bit of a problem. I pulled over to the side of the road and switched over to sport mode and then set it moderately at about four bars up. When I pressed the pedal to pull away from the curb, I think my truck did a wheelie. I got a sharp pain in my neck from the immediate onslaught of power and thrust my head into the headrest. This sudden acceleration also jogged my brain, displacing it somewhere else in my skull. Not sure if it has returned to its normal resting position as of this writing. You're going to be hearing from my chiropractor. He'll be sending you the adjustment bill to you for the payment. I highly recommend that you offer him the item seen in the photo attached as part of your overall Pedal Monster kit. 
He's referring to a remove before flight keychain that uh, we offer on the website. So nobody told me this thing would be this good and react that immediately. I will follow up with a video posted to my Facebook page to highlight this oversight on your part. On a serious note, holy crap. Man, my truck has never responded like that before. What a difference. And I was just trying it out. Can't wait to tie it all up and go for a real cruise. Thank you. And that's Michael Harding at uh, Champion. He's a director of uh, Champion Cooling Systems, apparently. I didn't know that when I uh, gave him a deal on a, a pedal monster. Very nice. We should have him come on to talk about radiators. They make a bunch of uh, aluminum uh, radiators. All right. Uh, I got this uh, last one from uh, Travis Bowles. Says, howdy, Lighting and Holman. I figured it was about time I send a thanks to Lightning for hooking me up with a discount on the Derringer I-Dash Pedal Monster. Oh, we got a two for my here. A threefer. Hmm. Derringer I-Dash Pedal Monster for my 2022 Ram 1500 EcoDiesel Laramie 4x4. I put 27,000 miles on the truck since adding the Banks gear, and I have to say I'm very happy with it all. The pedal lag is gone. I love the ability to turn the wick up on the truck with the click of a button. It's no 392 or TRX, but personally, I think the EcoDiesel Laramie is the best jack of all trades. Lifetime average so far, 27.4 miles per gallon. Toes my bass boat well. Super comfortable. Looks great. Kick and sound system with the Harman Kardon. I've made several trips from Michigan to Tennessee, Alabama, hauling a bass boat and Michigan to Oregon. Now loaded down, and the truck has been amazing, especially with the Derringer. I did throw one check engine light climbing a mountain in Wyoming, but was able to stop, read all the stats at the time of the code, and clear the code, realizing that low voltage in my COVID-era battery was screwing with the sensors. The peace of mind I have with the iDash is second to none, so thank you. Thanks for the discount. After driving my truck, my best friend and my dad went and bought Eco Diesel Laramies in different colors Dang. and both bought all the Banks gear, too. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Keep Mounting those parameters. monitor key engine parameters. Five stars. Five star review. Five stars. And Finnegan, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Thanks. Uh, and that's Travis RN. And then he uh, says, mine's the silver truck. Dad's the black one, of course. He had to have a bigger truck. And it shows his dad's truck next to him all uh, lifted and jacked up. So. Uh, appreciate that, Travis, and we appreciate uh, all you guys who have written into truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email, won't you? We'll read it on the air. The Truck Show, The Truck Show, The Truck Show, oh, oh. You can find that guy across the table uh, from me on uh, Instagram <laughs> Lightning. At, at LBC Lightning. Find me at Sean P. Holman, or if you're looking for both of us, at Truck Show Podcast. And, of course, you can always find us with your phone. The one that you're uh, listening to this thing on probably right now, just uh, head to Instagram, hit the call button, or you can dial 657-205-6105 for the five-star hotline. We want to hear from you guys. We need some more messages. Uh, we like to hear our readers' lovely voices. You know what? We didn't get that many calls on. I'm kind of disappointed. As, uh, Brown? Code Brown? Yeah. yeah. Code Brown. What happened with you guys? Why didn't you send a... Well, you got to got- call 657-205-6105 and leave us your Code Brown message. That's no, when you they don't have just- to. No, not when you're going Code Brown. Listen, just Trevor wait. Nemiro wrote us one that was called The Hot Dog Story. Wait a minute. Do they know wait, what look, co- it's four paragraphs long. I'm not reading it. Do they know what Code Brown is? Yes. They do? They do. Okay. I don't know why you assume everybody doesn't know truck vernacular. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm holding the uh, the Hot Dog Story because I don't know if I want to read the whole thing. Really? But if you've got a story, 657-205-6105. I want to hear a Code Brown story. Just barely made it to the restroom in time. Why? I, I love hearing about that agony, the sweats and like the gurgling stomach and all that stuff. There's a reason I, there's a lock on the door and I didn't put a bathroom in here. <laughs> it's going to be a mess one day. Code Brown! 
And before we get into our sponsor uh, mentions here, I want to ask you guys sincerely, can you please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? It really helps us to get found. And to be honest with you, we enjoy reading them. A lot of you guys are funny, creative writers. And if you're not, drop us a message anyway. Leave it as a review, Apple Podcasts app. Or if, you, if you're on Spotify, then just give us the five stars. I don't think I'll let you leave a review there. But uh, drop it an Apple freaking podcast. We're doing the show for you for free. The least you can do is leave us a review. Thanks. No, the least they could do is go out to their local Nissan dealership and support Nissan for supporting the show by buying a uh, 2023 Nissan Frontier Titan or Titan XT. So uh, if you guys are in the market for a pickup truck and you want to support the Truck Show podcast, there's no better way than going out and spending tens of thousands of dollars on a brand new truck <laughs> and telling them that Lightning and Holman sent you. So NissanUSA.com to build in price or your local Nissan dealer. So maybe you don't have tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe you have, I don't know, five, six hundred bucks. Go to bankspower.com to find your Ram Air intake or just slide into my DMs and I'll hook a brother up at LBC Lightning on the Gram. And I know there are those of you out there who need better shocks. You get into it, your wife's mad, you got a bouncy truck, you're leaking oil everywhere, it doesn't control your load, doesn't control your trailer, and it just bottoms out and feels awful off-road. Well, then you got to head over to BillsteinUS.com where you can get a shock from the originator of the monotube. Billstein was the company that invented monotube shocks, and when the road runs out, Billstein shocks will keep you going. They've got ride height adjustable shocks. They've got external bypass shocks. They've got reservoir shocks. They've got direct fit shocks. They'll make your daily commute more enjoyable, whether it's on the dirt or on the road. And guess what? There's no ride penalty, and you have better control of your trailer. No better place to go for upgraded suspension than BillsteinUS.com. And while we're on the subject of money for less than a tank of gas, you can get yourself the uh, best off-road map app built for adventure. Onyx Off-Road is the app we trust. You can discover new trails. You can figure out who owns the land you're on. You can save maps for offline use if you don't have a cell connection. You can customize it. You can use their brand new route builder tool. You can use it with CarPlay and Android Auto. And you know what the best part is? If you make a change on one of your devices, it automatically updates your account on all of your devices, whether they're Android, iOS, PC, or your Mac. You can subscribe and learn more about it at onyxoffroad.com. All right, well, now that we uh, have thanked all of the sponsors, I'm looking forward to uh, this weekend which uh, is going to give us an opportunity to see them all in person since you and I will both be heading out to Overland Expo in Flagstaff, Arizona. But, of course, by the time you hear this, we're driving back and we have already given out all the stickers, taken all the photos, and Lightning has seen how the other half, well, the rich half, live while camping. Yeah, yeah, I was hanging out with that uh, with the one listener. He had that beautiful van, no, truck car he had a, a tent a rooftop tent no shift pod. she had a shift pod he was chilling in the shift pod we were drinking beer whiskey we and it were, was it was chilled whiskey. by solar chiller but no 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 he had a dometic fridge he was wearing a tan shirt with pockets no he had a, a, a wide brim hat no neither he had a flannel on giant machete on his hip and it, nope no machete hiking boots no none of that no he had a really cool uh, app on his phone he, he had a leatherman that he was showing me like it was like a kind of a swiss army knife thing uh-huh. And that, yeah, it was just amazing. And he had extra gas cans. He, he didn't have any extra and, gas and, cans. And it was wa- water. Yeah, water shower hanging off of his truck. No, he had a, he had that little tent thing that you can shower and in. And then the full kitchen stuff. setup. And, no, he didn't have any of And then a bat wing on he it. He had none of that stuff. He was staying at the local Hilton. Oh, you, you, you might have been at a different show than, than I was. This was the home remodeling show in Phoenix, right? Uh, no, this would be the uh, remodeled truck and outdoor show in uh, Flagstaff. Oh, I might have driven to the wrong spot. 
The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Truck Famous LLC. This podcast was created by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please open your Apple Podcast or Spotify app and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan, there's no better way to show your support than by patronizing our sponsors. Some vehicles may have been harmed during the making of this podcast.